My next guest is an analyst for ESPN as well as the Steelers legend and the host of Face First Podcast, where he discusses life with the helmet off, as well as the host of the weekly show, RCDC or DCRC? DC and RC. DC and RC, man. We really missed the chance to call it RCDC. Then it could be closely (laughs) related to ACDC, you know, but we were talking MMA, and I think they just wanted to make sure DC's name was first. Yeah. And then Ryan Clark. Ryan has everything going. Season's coming up soon. You ready? You ready for everything? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a lot easier now. I ain't got to get hit. And so it's easy. I just sit around, watch other people do an extremely tough job and criticize them. I mean, what's the what's the plan for that? What, what are your thoughts on Hard Knocks so far? You know what? I actually do not watch it. Really? You, you haven't missed anything. So, well, I think the so so the reason the reason I don't I stopped watching it after um, the Rams were on, and I don't know if you remember. Uh, when the Rams were on, it was Jeff Fisher's uh, last year, I believe, but it was also uh, Jared Goff's rookie year. And I'm watching it, and I had a perception that Jared Goff could never be good at football because I was like, this dude is really dumb, you know? And and it almost gave me, like, too much of an insight. It was almost like a magician revealing his magic tricks. And so because of that, like, I don't want to know the dudes personally. I don't want to get attached to their stories. I don't want to feel them in a way other than what I can see on film, because I think that kind of taints the way you, 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 you critique them. It ta- it taints the way you watch them play ball. It taints what the film says sometimes, because it might be, Oh, I really like this dude and he has a family and he has kids. So let me not say this when truly it's pertinent to the way that you analyze football. So I've taken a step back from hard knocks, but the other reason I don't watch it is my best friend, is actually the Dallas Cowboys defensive back coach. And so, uh, you know, I try to stay away from it. And then, so uh, speaking of that, I saw you, you, you were, I think you either tweeted yesterday or today, you don't think the Cowboys are letting on everything about Dak. Oh, that was just, see, I, I've realized now from that tweet that when you have a job like me, you can't clown, right? Like you can't, like you can't pick on people. Like you can't, you can't troll an entire fan base because I was trying to troll Marcus Spears because Marcus Spears is on TV and he was saying, Oh, Dak's going to play. Dak's going to play. I know Dak. Dak is so tough. And he was basically just being like a Dallas Cowboy Homer, you know, when, and so I, I do believe it's, it's a bigger deal than the Dallas Cowboys ha- have led on. Anytime you have an injury that's keeping a player of his caliber out, who's already been injured. Uh, but I can't say that I know for certain that he's not going to play. I just think that it's it's more than meets the eye with this injury. And I do believe that if he does play, uh, Kellen Moore is going to have to scheme, strategize, and call plays in a way to protect Dak Prescott extremely early. And I was, ta- I was, I was talking uh, before, as I know we we're having you on today, I was reached out to Dave Damachek. I know I think you're familiar with it, Dave. Uh-huh. to ask you if you felt that uh, Troy Palomalu's speech about the Steeler way, um, do you think that was intended as a slight at the current team? No, absolutely not. Um, if, I, if I give that speech and I say that, it's definitely probably a slight at somebody. Uh, but um, Troy is, is the most humble, um, the most thoughtful, the most caring uh, man I've ever been around. And this is, this is not hyperbole in any way this is not me 
just boosting him up. He's one of the greatest friends I've ever had. And that's truly what he feels about his time at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, when he gave his speech at the dinner that they had, the Steelers threw a dinner when he was selected into the Hall of Fame or elected into the Hall of Fame. And at the dinner, he was the last person to speak. And what he said was, he said, it was never about me getting into the Hall of Fame. It was about receiving the acceptance of the Steelers. It was about the Mel Blunts, the Rod Woodsons, the, the Joe Greens, and those people saying, we accept you. Those people saying, job well done. He said that that was the most important thing to him, and he meant it. And to, to hear him say that, it let me know that being drafted by that team, playing your entire career with the Pittsburgh Steelers meant something to him. It meant more to him. And I do believe what he was saying was truly about what he feels about that organization and what the black and gold really is to Troy Palomalu. And I want to ask you, since you played for both teams and they made some news today, they named Dwayne Haskins the starter for the next preseason game. Um, me being a D.C. guy, you playing in D.C., what do you see his future like with the team? Do you think he's on that right trajectory since he left D.C. potentially to succeed Ben, or what do you think about that? Yeah, you know, it was a little scary. He has the incident in Las Vegas this offseason. Uh, obviously, it wasn't just the play in Washington. It was some of the away-from-the-field things, some of the decision-making that made you question, was Dwayne Haskins a franchise quarterback? I think any time you have a guy that accounts for 50 touchdowns at Ohio State, you know that he has talent. He, throw, he throws one of the prettier footballs that we've seen in the last few years. And I think anytime you can get around the stability of a Pittsburgh Steelers organization, the stability of a Mike Tomlin, of a GM, Kevin Colbert, of the Rooney family, that things could change. Also, too, man, like sometimes you kind of just need a swift kick in the ass to tell you, you know what, you need to, you need to be better. You need to be a better human. You need to be a better player. And it seems he's kind of accepting that. And if you watched him, throughout the preseason, you've seen great decision-making. You've seen him move in the pocket and make plays downfield like you saw against the Eagles. And even simple checkdowns, taking the simple short passes are things it seems like he's learned. And sometimes failure can lead to great success. You know, sometimes those setbacks lead, lead to comebacks. And maybe that's what Dwayne Haskin has. I think he's put himself in position ahead of Mason Rudolph to replace Ben Roethlisberger, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he'll be the predecessor. How, how do you see the division shaking up this year? Because everybody's got to take on that. Um, I think Cleveland has the, the best roster in football after Tampa Bay Buccaneers, top to bottom. Wow. Uh, and so if I had to pick a team to win the AFC North, I'd pick them. Obviously, Baltimore Ravens have uh, – has they have one of the most dynamic players, uh, I think, to ever play the game in Lamar Jackson. Uh, losing Bateman, Rashard Bateman early, help, hurts them, right? I think he was a guy that you could see kind of in some of the preseason clips that was coming along and could change that passing game. They obviously have Sammy Watkins. Mark Andrews is good. Uh, but listening to Mark Andrews talk about their quarterback and say how dialed in he is, knowing that they'll have a defense that can compete with anybody in the league. You know, I picked those two teams, one, two, to be battling to see who'd be number one. And then the Pittsburgh Steelers slightly behind them, but just slightly. And if Ben Roethlisberger and Matt Canada can produce a downfield, a downfield passing game, that's a team that can also win that division. So I think three teams, from the AFC North make the playoffs this year. Interesting. And then in going back to DC, what do you expect from the skins from the Washington football team's defense this year? Well, defense is going to be freaking amazing. I mean, you know, you look at some of the young pickups in the secondary, but when you have guys like Montez Sweat and Chase Young, man, you know, you add them to Allen and Payne, uh, Landon Collins, who's a guy I trained, uh, is probably 
of all the players in the league, uh, him and DeShazer Everett, who also played for Washington, I'm probably closer to them than, than any others. Uh, for Landon to work the way he had this offseason, have the chip on his shoulder again, I think that's huge for him. You know, I expect a Pro Bowl caliber season from him, and especially when you can rush the passer like they can, and when you can stop the run like they will up front. I think Washington is going to be great on defense, but this team is going to be about what Ryan Fitzpatrick adds to the offense. Uh, what can Curtis Samuel do? You know, what Scary Terry's year is like. I think Antonio Gibson is going to be huge for this team. You know, uh, his, his Twitter bio just has the weapon, you know, and to be able to say that or to be able to type that and mean it and it actually has some value is a huge thing. I think Washington is going to be really good and, you know, it's going to be either them or the Dallas Cowboys, depending on Dak's health and the defense of the Cowboys under Dan Quinn to see who represents the NFC East as the champion in the playoffs. And looking at Washington secondary, obviously you bring, bring in William Jackson. They drafted Ben St. Juice. You got Fowler, Cam Curl broke out last year. Analytics love Jeremy Reeves, and you get a healthy Collins back. What do you what do you think they can do kind of to, to assist the, the incredible defensive line? I mean, they, they, they should be better, obviously. Um, you think about it, you know, last year Landon's out for most of the year. Cameron Curl comes, has a great year. You start the, the year off with uh, Troy Apke. Uh, you know, he ends up being benched. And so you really don't have stability at the safety position. Position Kendall Fuller has an amazing year um, at corner. Now you add William Jackson, who I think has been extremely underrated and undervalued because he played in Cincinnati. Uh, this is a dude that comes out of Houston, a first-round talent. I um, mean, you really saw some of those things last year. And so I think that this defense uh, can be really good front to back. And it's about health. Um, but obviously the back end is about chemistry. You know, what type of leadership do you have? And does that leadership lead to playmaking? And, you know, so far throughout the preseason, it's seen that way. Since you're getting more into kind of um, uh, the combat sports, are you, you excited for Pac-Man Jones' uh, pay-per-view on Friday night? No, not at all, man. I think uh, seeing, like, most of us grew up in certain ways and have an aggressive nature to where we've been in fistfights. Right, like Pac-Man knocked the dude out in the airport. Um, I think you sometimes underestimate what it's like to actually do it, to actually have to face off against a, an opponent, to have the wherewithal to get punched in your nose and have your eyes watering, but still understand that you got to keep focused, you have to keep calm, and there are certain steps in order to fight in the correct way. And so anytime I see somebody I know, because I know Pac-Man personally, um, that is not a boxer or not a fighter fight, I just get nervous, you know? So um, I think Nate Robinson has me a little bit uh, thrown off about athletes getting in the ring. Ocho Cinco did well, right? He didn't get dropped until the last round. So uh, let's hope that, you know, we have like Nate, Ocho Cinco, then Pac-Man. Yeah. And I want to ask you about the Monday night game. So obviously we have the Jags and uh, New Orleans. They're kind of opposing storylines coming out from both teams. Um, Jameis Winston lit it up, and Jacksonville seems to be an issue. It seems like it's not going according to plan, obviously, with injuries, new coach, new quarterback. What have been your thoughts on both of those teams' offseason? Um, I think the Saints, you know, have an interesting problem. Uh, you've had this great quarterback for a decade and a half. Uh, you never had to worry about the position truly, and now you have two dudes, uh, one guy who's like a gadget guy who you kind of believe in that can play quarterback, another dude who's a first overall pick, who had interception issues in Tampa. Um, I thought Jameis was amazing Monday night. Here's what I think. Sean Payton got what he needed. 
Jameis Winston needs to win this job. Taysom Hill needs to be doing other things that he does better than quarterbacking, right? Which is pretty much everything else that he does. And I think if you could have Jameis Winston where you could push the ball down the field, cut those turnovers in half, you have a real life starter, not just a bridge guy, not just a guy you can use for a couple of years, but a guy who could be your quarterback for the next decade. Uh, you have Taysom Hill that can do all kinds of things. And then you have a guy like brothers, Trevor Simeon or Ian Book, who could be the backup. And so to me, Jameis Winston took the step to be the starter. Now Sean Payton needs to make the call. And with the Jags, do you think this urban experiment is going to be one and done? Do you see him sticking around for a little while? I mean, you know, it's only it's, urban has to make that decision. You know, that's that's I feel like saying whether or not a guy will stick around is me judging a man's character and intent. And I can't do that. Uh, they're going to suck, though. I know that. Um, you know, I, I wasn't the Trevor Lawrence is a transcendent generational talent guy. Never been. Right. I, I was the guy that for three years, at least the last two years, have been screaming, had, had been screaming. The gap between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields isn't as big as people make it. Right. And I'm right. And I think people are starting to see that I'm right. And uh, I think Trevor Lawrence will be a good quarterback in the league. He could be very good. Trevor Lawrence just can has pro bowl, all pro talent. But you're playing on a team that can't protect you up front. You're playing on a team with Daryl Bevel, the office coordinator, and Urban Meyer are trying to mess together college and pro to find an offense, and you have a 21-year-old quarterback. That sounds like a recipe for disaster to me, especially when your first-round running back, Travis Etienne, now has a Liz Frank injury. And so does Urban Meyer embrace the struggle when he hasn't struggled in years in coaching? I don't know. Uh, but we're going to find out how he feels about adversity. Did that ETN pick make any sense to you on draft night? Obviously seeing what a great year James Robinson had. It was strange, friend. It was uh, a very strange thing. I think Urban Meyer looks at the NFL much like he looked at college. Uh, if you think about the draft picks, the undrafted free agents, everybody that Urban Meyer either drafted or signed was a four or five-star high school recruit. So he's thinking about drafting and attaining skill sets and talents. And I think that's what the Travis ATN pick was about more than replacing uh, Robinson. And, and then speaking of Robinson, I want to ask you about your career a little bit. So you came in as an undrafted free agent. And for people that are really unfamiliar with the process, what was, what was that grind like that first season trying to make the team? I mean, that, that, that wasn't just the first season. That was the first four years of my career um, where you're just trying to make the team. Even I got picked, I got cut. After my second year, after starting four games, Tom Coughlin tells me I can't even play in the league. Like, he doesn't believe I'm good enough. Um, I get picked up the day before camp the next year in Washington, and I don't move my family up because I'm thinking any day I could get cut. And so it was just one of those deals. You always understood that your entire career, you'd be fighting to show people you could play. Whereas early round draft picks, always fighting to show people that they can't. And that was my approach. And that approach never changed, uh, which benefited me. You know, I, I worked harder. I, I cared more. I watched more film. Um, certain little things were more important to me, taking care of my body, eating a certain way. And so I think that, you know, that grind is what makes you. You know, I remember playing probably like 20 plays in a scrimmage in New York. Uh, I was great. We did special teams first. I was the gunner, the jammer. First four plays, I make the first four plays of the uh, the scrimmage. And then, you know, I didn't know at the time, but I had sickle cell. I couldn't breathe and I was going through certain things. And I remember calling my mom and my wife and being like, and I wasn't married yet. Like, I'm not going to make it. Like, they're going to cut me. If I can't finish a scrimmage, why would you keep an undrafted guy around? 
And that was the life that you lived. That was the way that you thought. And it was always a fight to not cut yourself. But in the end, um, you understand how far you've come. And I think the, the greatest compliment to me is when I meet people now, having them either ask me, um, what round were you drafted in? Or having them not know that I was undrafted. You know, I think that means you played long enough and well enough where people forgot. Is there any undrafted guys with you that are catching your attention so far? Um, not really. You know, like I, I would be I would be absolutely lying to you if I told you I watched the game worried about where people were drafted. You know, um what 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 normally happens in the preseason is uh you watch for storyline, right? So I'll watch all the games as they play. Then the first thing I'll do, I'll go watch all the rookie quarterbacks, right? Because, you know, those are the things that you're going to be asked about. Then you watch every position battle, right? The next thing you go to see is what are the new faces uh, doing on new teams? The hard part about that is normally the new faces are extremely good faces and they don't play a ton, you know? And so I think preseason – um, it's always it's always a difficult watch. It's always one of those things where, you know, I'm not watching every single play intently to see what's happening in Tampa Bay, Tennessee in the fourth quarter with one minute and 15 seconds left. And I want to ask you, um, what, what's your what's your favorite story about Troy Palomaro's in your career? And then I want to kind of get into your podcast today. Oh shoot. So many, man. Uh, one, he's the fattest boy I've ever been around. That's the, that's, that's the main thing. He's like a real-life chunky butt. Um, I would say my, my favorite story um, about, about Troy was, is um, who, who he is as a man. When Troy was um, elected or selected to be the defensive player of the year, we were at Super Bowl 45. Um, I was at a restaurant eating, and it scrolls across the bottom of ESPN. Um, I text him to tell him congratulations, tell him how much he deserves it, and tell him I love him. And um, he texts me back and he says, we won this award. I couldn't have done it without you. Thank you, brother. I love you. Uh, same thing. I'm in Miami. Uh, I hang out with him the day before, you know, the day they go to the hotel where he'll find out if he'll be elected or not. I'm all excited because I'm knowing he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's being all Troy and pissing me off and going, God willing, you know, if it happens, Troy, shut up. You're going to make it. Um, and uh, so the same thing, you know, he makes it. I kind of send him the same text that he deserves it. He's earned it. You know, I tell him to experience it because I think sometimes he tried to distance himself so far away from the fame of football that he never got to feel how we how we all felt about him. Um, I told him let his family enjoy it. And I told him I love him. And uh, the text was very much the same, you know. Thank you, brother. Um, I don't make it here without you. We made it, and I love you. I think that's truly who Troy is, um, who he was as a player, and who he is as a man, that even in a moment that he's earned, totally individual of many people because of what he was blessed with and the way he worked and the way he played, he was always thinking about the people that whether we did help him or not, the people he perceived to have helped him, what they had done for him. And then my last question for you, uh, you talk about face first and what people can kind of uh, find out about it and if they want to check out. Yeah, I did man. Clip you posted with Ike and Troy about the funny story at the hotel. Yeah, yeah you know, Ike, Ike likes to be naked. It's, it's, it's a thing. 
and Troy met Ike naked on the floor doing sit-ups. I couldn't imagine what that's like, you know, for a Polynesian kid from Oregon that went to USC uh, to see this black dude from New Orleans on the floor, butt naked doing sit-ups. Uh, but Face First is on Podbay, it's on iTunes, um, it's on DB Precision official YouTube. And it was honestly something I started, man, because I felt like the confines and the boxes of TV were difficult for me. You know, there were things I wanted to talk about, whether it's, you know, whether I want to spend 30 minutes talking about Kobe Bryant or 30 minutes talking about me almost drowning in Mexico, or if I want to get James Harrison or Troy Palomalu, or if I want to do an uh, undrafted type series with somebody, like I just didn't, didn't get the opportunities to do those. And so it's been really cool to kind of spread my wings and, and get an opportunity to host, uh, to do what you're doing and ask people questions and start, start interesting conversations. And so really excited to, you know, for where it's going. Um, I got something really cool coming up uh, before the season. Not really going to talk about it, but I am going to, you know, interview probably the biggest agent um, in football soon, uh, maybe the president of LSU. So I got some things coming that I'm really excited about. Awesome, awesome. Well, how can people find you on social media and keep up with you? And then I'll yeah. have you check out your podcast. Yeah, I'm on uh, I'm on uh, Real R Clark 25 on Twitter, Real R Clark on Instagram, uh, DB Precision um, underscore. I mean, DB underscore precision underscore one on IG, DB underscore precision on Twitter. Uh, and like I said, the podcast is on iTunes, Podbay, DB Precision Official. You can watch it on YouTube. And uh, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's been a cool journey from football to now. We'll keep going. Can't wait for the season to start, but I do appreciate you taking the time. It means a lot. Man, you have a great day, man. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely appreciate it. My next guest is an NFL Network senior reporter, as well as a correspondent for the Atlanta Falcons. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome on recurring guest, Mr. Steve Weiss. Steve, is everything going for you? Zach, I'm great, man. Good seeing you, my brother. Hope all is well with you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So how's your offseason going? I know we're getting real close to the regular season, but how's everything been? Yeah, now it's, not, it's no longer an offseason. It is, it is full preseason training camp mode. No, it's been real busy. Um, spent a good, good week at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Been to several training camps. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm a contributor uh, to Atlanta Falcons, and I've, I've called, helped call two of their preseason games. Got to see the Dolphins and the Titans as well. So, no, it's good. You know, I'm gathering, gathering a ton of good information that will last me a few weeks into the season at least. So you've, been, so you've spent some time with the Falcons. Is Kyle Pitts the real deal? Yes, he is. I mean, you know, I got to see him in the joint practices with the Dolphins, and that's – that's where, where you really get to tell. And, you know, the Dolphins, they use uh, Eric Rowe as kind of their tight ends matchup guy. You know, he, he, I saw him last year against Darren Waller and things like that. And Pitts, you know, for a rookie, did a, did a fantastic job against Rowe. His size, doesn't matter how well he's covered. He's going to be able to, you know, outsize you for some of those catches. Um, he's going to give the Falcons a lot of options in that passing game just because, again, he's a physical matchup. They're going to move them all over. Um, they're going to find advantageous matchups for him. Plus, Calvin Ridley is going to benefit off of him and vice versa. Who's going to be that second receiver in their offense? Is anybody jumping out to you? Yeah, yeah it'll, it'll be Russell Gage. I mean, he's a good player. Russell Gage is the number three guy, so he didn't get the targets that, that Julio and Ridley got. But Russell Gage, he's a good player. So it'll be between Gage and, you know, Pitts, just depending on the scheme and how teams play him. I know I had uh, uh, Olamide Zacchaeus on. Is he Zacchaeus is good. He's a good player. He's a good player. Um, he's he's going to give them some options in the passing game as well. So he he had a he's had a really good preseason. The thing that's you know most important though is if they can't run the football, this offense isn't going to work functionally. 
So they've got to be able to get a lead and then beat teams down the second half like the Titans did. That's that's the hope that they're going to be able to have. But, you know, they've got some things to work out in the offensive line, and they've got to be able to put points on the board in the first half. And then speaking of the running game, I know they've got Mike Davis on there. This is kind of the first time in his career this key's got to be the de facto number one RB. Do you think he's ready to kind of take that challenge and run with it? Well, he's not going to be a bell cow, right? He's going to be the first down guy, short yardage guy, kind of reliable guy. But Cordero Patterson is going to work his way in there. Um, you got a guy named Kajir Allison. And then this undrafted guy, who I really like, named Caleb Huntley. He's really showing up uh, in preseason. A stout guy, got some pop, you know, to his running style. Showed he's really good in protection and a blocker. So I, I think he's somebody, one of those guys who gets nicked who can step in and give you eight or nine touches a game and be just fine. Um, are there any guys on the defensive side of the ball that are kind of catching your eye on? I know the defense has been an issue in recent years. Well, the, the linebackers are very good. Um, you know, Deion Jones is very good. Um, Foyer Aluakon is, is exceptional. They've got this guy, Michael Walker, who's going to ro rotate in as well, who's very good. You know, the hope is that Dante Fowler can provide some pass rush. He's going to be a situational pass rusher. I mean, last season – they used him every down. He's not a three-down pass rush guy. So if they can come up with some schemes to kind of pair him on the same side as Grady Jarrett or do some things to create some, some matchups where he can win one-on-ones, he's going to be just fine. But he's really going to have a bounce back here after last year, signing the big deal and, and not delivering what they had hoped. Are they the second-best team in the NFC South? Tough call. Tough call. I mean, look, the Buccaneers are there. I, I, I can't put them over the Saints. I mean, we can say because the Saints not having Michael Thomas and Drew Brees, they're a question mark, but their defense has been like top eight in every major category the past two years. And the defense has been like top two or three when Brees was out, right? right? So when they had to start Taysom Hill last year for four games, they had to start Teddy Bridgewater for five, the defense took over. And we don't talk about that defense enough. So I think the Saints are the best team and Carolina really, really intrigues me. So I think that defense is going to be better with some of those younger players who got experience last year. Matt Rule and Joe Brady are the real deal uh, when you talk to people around the NFL. It's just, can Sam Darnold, you know, is he, does he, is he, is he going to be better? You know, was he wrecked in New York? Was he never really that good? Um, and it's still with the Jets. We're about to find out because he's got, a, he's got some coaches there who should be able to point him in the right direction. Uh, how cool was the Hall of Fame weekend? It's the best. It's my favorite weekend of the calendar because, you know, you're honoring greatness. Then you have more than 100,000 fans show up and you realize, you know, the backbone of the NFL is its fan base. And so when these people take the time to come out and see Tom Flores and Peyton Manning and Calvin Johnson and Troy Polamalu, um, it's, it's just absolutely incredible. And then when people who aren't in the hall yet get to experience, wow, my teammates going in and I get to see this. Do I really belong on the stage with these 350? Um, it, it's just an awesome experience. And the people at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you see the ball right over my shoulder. Um, I mean, they know they know what they're doing. Sorry, that shoulder. Um, they know what they're doing. And, you know, they, they just David Baker, the president and some of the people up there really have a special thing going. And if you're if you're a true NFL fan, that is about as big of a bucket list stop as you can make. Is there anybody there? I know you've probably seen all these guys before. Maybe anybody that showed up this year that you still kind of get like goosebumps. You're like, I can't believe he's here. Well, I mean, several. I mean, Carl Eller, you know, I grew up in Minneapolis as a little kid, and Carl Eller lived like two blocks from me. We used to go trick-or-treating by his house. He used to give out autographed pictures of himself. That was the best. When I see Carl Eller there, um, you know, I love, you know, I, I just love seeing guys like that. And the coolest thing is when they, they take the position group pictures, right? 
So you see the quarterbacks and you've got Dan Marino, John Elway, Bob Greasy and Warren Moon. And all of a sudden Peyton Manning's in that group. And he's like, oh, my God, do I really belong in here? You know, or, or you've got, you know, the running backs and you've got Marcus Allen and Jim Brown and all these guys. And, you know, Edron James is like, what? You know, I'm, I'm with these guys. So that's that's really the stuff that really makes it marvel. And also it's near and dear to my heart um, is the Black College Football Hall of Fame. You know, the 34 Pro Football Hall of Famers who attended historically black colleges and universities, you know, Robert Brazil. This year we had it four, you know, posthumously Winston Hill and Bill Nunn. And then, um, gosh, why am I blanking? Donnie Schell uh, went in this year, and I am going to kill myself because I'm, I'm blanking. It'll come to me. We had a total of four uh, guys go in this year who also are remember. Oh, Harold Carmichael. That's right. Black College Football. Tall, big guy. He's a big guy. Six, eight, baby. That's unreal. And then I don't know if you saw the announcement from earlier about um, kind of looking towards next year with uh, Cliff Air, uh, Cliff. Cliff Harris, Cliff Branch, Cliff Branch, Cliff Branch and and uh, Dick Vermeil. Guess, uh, Dick Vermeil. What were your thoughts on that? Well, well deserved. I, I love both. it. I love it. I mean, they're, they're so deserving. I mean, they're senior candidates, so they've had to wait a long time. It's a shame that Cliff Branch has had to wait this long. You're probably too too young to remember him, but he was a deep threat to Kent Stabler and those great Raiders teams. Right? He would open up the field. Fred Bolitnikoff would run underneath. You know, as the other wide receiver, he's got the incredible hands. And then you had Dave Casper, the tight end. Um, it was just an incredible offense, but I mean, nobody could catch Cliff Branch. And, and so it's just great that, you know, Tom Flores, his coach went in this year and now Cliff Branch is likely going to get in. Cause once you're a senior candidate, odds are you're going to get in. And then Dick Vermeil, of course, coached the Eagles for the Super Bowl with Harold Carmichael, then had the greatest show on turf with the Rams, just so deserving. Um, it would be great if Torrey Holt goes in with the modern era guys, cause then you've got everybody right. Orlando Pace, Kurt Warner, um, Isaac Bruce went in this year, Marshall Falk, and then Dick Vermeil. That would that would be pretty awesome if Tory Holt got to join him. Looking at next year's class, is there anybody that seems like a no-brainer to you? Tough. It's a tough call. Um, I, I don't have the list in front of me. I know um, Hester's on there, Demarcus see, Ware. See, Devin Hester, that's right, because all these guys are gonna be are gonna be very worthy of conversations, right? Because there's no Peyton Manning, right? There's no Troy Polon, right? Guys, you're like, okay. Say their name and they're going into the Hall of Fame. There's some guys who you really have to finesse their credentials a little bit. I think Steve Smith is eligible as well. Yep. Um, who, who is my favorite player ever, ever, you know, ever in terms of covering as a journalist? Because here's this little dude who there's no way you could ever stop him, right? He had this attitude which resembled everything about the greatness of the NFL. Like you can double me, you can triple me, Jake Dillon, put the ball in the air, I'm still going to catch it, and make a play, right? But had him is like we said, Tory Holt, Reggie Wayne, you know, other guys who are Hall of Fame players who deserve to be in. So will he have to wait like a lot of receivers have to do? So, yeah, there's a lot of guys who are going to generate some discussion. Hopefully this is the year that Tony Boselli finally gets in the, one of the best offensive tackles ever. But he basically had a five year career, even though he played for seven because of injuries. But it's, it's time for Tony to finally get in. You think Willis has, Willis has an argument, Patrick Willis? Ooh, I love him. He was a great player. Um, he, he legitimately has an argument. Some people will tell you that Navarro Bowman, who lined up next to him, might have actually been a better player. And, you know, you think about that era, though, it was those two and Luke Keekley. You know, and, you know, is, is Willis going to be punished because he played next to Bowman? 
Um, and Keekley was just such, you know, Luke Keekley is probably going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, so, yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting discussion. I think if Patrick Etienne will have to wait. Zach Thomas is another inside linebacker from the Dolphins who deserves to be in the Pro Hall of Fame. Hopefully he gets in the next year or two. What about London Fletcher? You could go in with Vermeil. It'd be perfect. <laughs> he could be London. London's usually not talked about once you get to the final 25 because as great of a player as he was, and he was an impactful player. There's going to be some people say, well, he played so long, he compiled stats. You're going to hear the argument Frank Gore is eligible as well. Played so long, he compiled the stats to get in that 10,000-yard plus elite group. Um, so there'll be, there'll be some discussion. Inside linebackers, man, it's always a tough road for those guys to get in, especially some of the guys today because very few of them are three down linebackers. You know, the Fred Warners are, the Bobby Wagners are, um, but most of those guys, you know, they, they come off the field for, for nickel substitution. So, you know, we're not going to devalue them, but there's going to be some voters who are going to say, wow, the impact they had in the game wasn't as great as a corner or a pass rusher. And I want to ask you about the rookie uh, first round quarterbacks. Is there anybody that's catching your attention that maybe you didn't expect to be kind of getting going this early? Tough to say. I mean, preseason, I, I put so much stock in it. I've seen some guys look great, get the opportunity, and they get the yips because they see defenses and coverages and disguises they haven't seen. But I think Zach Wilson has been fantastic. Um, you know, a lot of people are questioning because he came out of Brigham Young. They had the great season, and they didn't really play a lot of people. They were kind of playing week to week because the COVID epidemic was causing the schedule here and schedule there and do this and that. But he's looked really good. Mike LaFleur has done a really good job in preseason. Um, that's going to change because he's playing in a division. The Bills are going to, you know, they're the favorite. The Patriots, Belichick's going to give him all kind of looks to confuse him. And the Dolphins are real, team we don't talk about enough. You know, I, th I think Fields looks great, Chicago. Um, he's going to have to. They, why won't they name him a week one starter? What, what's going on with that? Because they're playing the Rams. They know they don't have a good offensive line. They don't want Aaron Donald to, uh, <laughs> to take him out. Probably week two, he's going to be the guy. Um, I, I don't think that, I don't think that battle goes on for very long into the regular season. Um, but I, yeah, you know, Trey Lance, he's going to have to wait a little bit, but it's, we'll see Mac Jones. I mean, Cam Newton just opened the door, yeah. Matt, you know, and you're, you're hearing players out there. Hey, this absolutely is going to give him an opportunity because we, we believe in him. You know, when you hear stuff coming out of the locker room, like you're hearing out coming out of the Patriots today. You know, you never look at the job I do and the job anybody does. You never give the person who was no. brought in to take your place an opportunity to accelerate the process. No. And even though Cam may have done nothing wrong, right? It sounds like there was some type of confusion about where he was supposed to take these COVID tests or things like that. Even though he did nothing wrong, this is opening up a door yeah. to accelerate the process to him losing a, a potential starting job. I mean, it wasn't his fault, but look what happened to Terod Taylor last year. So wasn't his fault. No, no wasn't his fault. No. Are there any guys around the league that have been kind of making some noise in camp that people maybe aren't expecting to have a break breakout year, but once the season starts, we're not going to be able to stop hearing about them. Um, kind of hard to say because Najee Harris just looked really good at running back for Pittsburgh, but I think he's going to be spectacular. I think he is going to give them, you know, a, a little extra something. Um, that's going to be pretty special. Um, again, really, you know, really kind of hard. I mean, Kyle Pitts, you're just seeing him. He's, he's probably going to have fits and starts as the season goes along. It may not be consistent, but he's somebody who's probably going to deliver, you know, the, the goods as well. 
so hard hard to really say you know who kind of that that unspoken gem is going to be um but again because it's preseason but i i think Najee harris oh and micah parsons my god he's already he's already taken um God, one of the star linebackers, Jalen Blank, Smith or Vander He's already taking Jalen Smith's job. He's the real deal. I've seen it. I saw him in the Hall of Fame game. I've spoken to coaches about him. His instincts are insane. And what Dan Quinn wants to do in his offense, he wants guys who can run. And he runs and he doesn't deliver, you know, he doesn't just show up to deliver tackles. He arrives with a smile on his face. So he's going to, he could, he has a potential to be a superstar and really help that defense, defense out as well. And going back to Pitts, uh, you've seen a ton of great tight ends playing the league. Who does he remind you of? Darren Waller. Um, because of the flexibility, uh, the motion, the speed. It's just very hard for even a six-foot corner with long arms to match up with him. Six six, you know, uh, with great length and and just great hands. He's got the right attitude, the way he approaches things. And so I think Darren Waller, because, I mean, I think he's a guy you could seriously target 10 times a game and you won't be able to stop, him. you know, regardless if you double him or, or do whatever. But, you know, you can't because Calvin Ridley's going to get open. But Waller is, is the comp I see right now. And then I want to ask you about the the, the new uh, the taunting, the changes. Do you think this is here to stay or do you think eventually well, after a call that maybe gets a little bit of controversy, they'll, they'll do away with it? Well, I mean, look, every preseason we see an abundance. You know, one year it was offensive pass interference calls. One year it was holding. And then by, like, week three, it's gone. And we haven't really seen an excessive amount of them. We've seen some kind of – there's one in the Colts game that was a little touch and go. Um, so I, I don't think this is going to be a, a real huge issue. You know, you hope it's not called at a game-changing, you know, point, you know, in the fourth quarter, which could really alter – you know, the outcome. So I, I don't think it's going to end up being that big of a deal. Then I want to ask you before I let you go, what are your predictions for the NFC East? Woo. Wow. Um, I think Washington is the team to beat, but they're beatable. I mean, look, the NFC East, no one ever runs away with this. It always comes down to the final two weekends. So I like Washington because of the defense. The Cowboys should be a lot better but we'll see. Um, and the Giants, to me, are the surprise team. I, I think if Daniel Jones doesn't turn it over and Saquon is, is close to being healthy, they're not a team that's going to beat themselves. So I think that's a team whose defense is going to be opportunistic. Patrick Graham is a D.C., is somebody who's really well thought of. So, again, I, I think Philly's, you know, Philly's a year away from being a year away. But – between those three teams, I'll give Washington the leg up just because they're the defending champs. And, and I think that Fitzpatrick will be fun to watch. I don't know if it'll be perfect to watch. But, again, this this is going to come down to probably who gets to 10 wins first. Yeah. And do you have any uh, bold predictions for the season? Aaron Donald will be the NFL MVP. Interesting. Wow. That would be – It's going to be a defensive lineman, the first one since Allen Page. Wow. They should get him out there. That's unbelievable. Uh, well, that yeah, that's really uh, all the questions really have for you. Um, how can people find you on social media? Keep up with you with the great work you're doing with the Falcons and with NFL Network. Yeah, you find me on Instagram and Twitter at Weich W Y C H E eighty nine. The numerals eighty nine. Old Jersey number. Awesome, awesome. Is Huddle and Flow coming back anytime soon? Do people keep an eye out? Doesn't look like it. Doesn't look like it's coming back. Okay. okay. And I and I will leave it. I will leave it at that. 
All right, cool. I'll keep I'll keep it down it just in case. Just in case there you go. Pops up for, for, anyone, for anyone asking, it has nothing to do with me and my host or our producer. <laughs> we are all brothers to the end. So if you don't see it again, just know that Jim Trotter and Thomas Warren are my dudes. We're all united, a united front. Awesome. Awesome. Do appreciate you taking the time as always. Thanks for having me, Zach. Appreciate it.